Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. And yet another interesting guest, Russell. What do you think of that? Hey, good looking and interesting and, and smart, That's dedicated. Right. Yeah, so Kelly. Others, uh, those are the only kind of people that show up. Here. That's right. That's right. I like it. <laughs> we attract really brilliant people that have good stories. So, Kelly, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you for having me. Um, we had a little struggle with technology, but we conquered it. So, uh, here we are. Um, <clears throat> so, let's start out. I don't like to do these dry introductions of people. I like people to tell me a little bit about themselves. You know, what, what about you is important to the work you do? And then talk about this, this organization, 15-40 Connection. So it's interesting because I have a background in marketing and development and and I've spent the last part of my career, probably the last 10 years in kind of strategy development and activation, um, specifically around customer engagement. So um, when I came to 1540, my role was to really help to drive engagement and scale. So we really needed to scale our message. We knew it was life-saving education and we needed to get it to as many people as possible. What was unique in my story is I was working as a consultant and then I had a health change. So part of our education is about noticing changes in your health and acting on them. And I did that. And it was kind of, I always call it was my orientation to the, to the business. So I was really in real time, my life testing our education. Does it work? And, you know, my health change was significant. I did see a doctor. I had some challenges with getting a diagnosis, but I pushed. I became the empowered patient, which is something that we talk about, and got to an accurate diagnosis, which really changed my life. So um, that makes me not just a business professional, but also a consumer. And that combination has been very successful as we enter kind of the drive of this mission and our need to scale it and our ability to scale it. And Kelly Fatman, um, y'all aren't from the South, I can tell. Where are y'all from? Well, I am actually born and raised right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. But my parents are from Pennsylvania, so I have a little bit of a mixed problem going on here. <laughs> and Russell is over there in Denver. Um, they, they got a really distinctive accent, which you can't tell. But right. in the South, it's very distinctive. And, and in New England, it's, of course, very distinctive. So tell us a little bit about 1040, a 1540 connection. <laughs> Our mission is we teach people how to detect cancer early. It's that simple. So there's a ton of companies. Once you actually are diagnosed with cancer, there is a bunch of resources to access for treatment, care, you know, mental health, research. When it comes to the path that leads to diagnosis, there's nobody who does what we do, which is a unfortunately why we're doing it. Um, the founder wasn't necessarily looking for something else to do, but when he saw this opportunity and this really this gap in what was available to people um, to really maintain their health and, and survive cancer, um, he acted on it. So we, our education is teaching people how to recognize symptoms, act on those symptoms, and connect with their doctor to get an accurate early diagnosis. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, <clears throat> So 
On your site, there's um, core educational message. It's called Three Steps Detect. Correct. Say more about that. The Three Steps Detect is our core education. It is really the entry point of um, what you learn when you're learning about early uh, early detection. So we bet we broke it down to three simple steps. We know that you know if you follow these three steps, it will learn to. It'll lead to not only you know, a potential cancer diagnosis early, but really diagnose anything. We've heard from people this year that have diagnosed heart disease, uh, kidney, uh, kidney stones, things along those lines. So we know that it's not just cancer that can be detected early, it can be anything. And we know that anything when detected early will just give you a better chance of survival, better health outcomes, just quickly, but getting back to your life quicker, back to health quicker. So it's not just cancer. We are focused on cancer, but the interesting byproduct of our education is it's helping people find other things as well. But our primary focus is cancer. Wow. So you started telling a story that you had a health change and it brought you to, how did, that, how did you connect with 1540? Was it already in existence? Yeah, so I was actually working here and we were developing the curriculum, Three Steps Detect. We had been doing education before I got here, but knew that we needed to tighten it up, be clear on the message, get something that was memorable and actionable, and that's what I was working on. And, you know, when I had the health change, I followed the three steps, quite honestly. And um, the, the biggest step we talk about is really the, the part where the patient interacts with the doctor. And, you know, doctors, we, we call them detectives, and they only can solve the case based on the clues that are provided to them. And we are the people who provide the clues. So I was providing my clues. However, the doctors didn't, they basically outlined to me that what I was saying didn't make sense, that my... Um, explanation of my symptoms couldn't be what they are and I stayed true to my story um, because of what I learned here and ultimately they ordered the right test and got to an accurate diagnosis so I had two diagnoses prior to the third which was the accurate one so <clears throat> some of us listening that are paranoid <laughs> um, when I visit people in the hospital I start hurting when they start talking about their operation. You're hurt right here. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so those, um, can you give us an idea of those three steps? Sure. So first step is to know your normal, know your great. So what's good for you when you wake up in the morning, you know, how do you feel in the morning on a good day? And it's really, um, we don't have a checklist, but it's really setting benchmarks. So, you know, what's your normal sleep patterns? What's your normal energy level? What is your bowel habits? You know, those are the things that you should be checking in with. What your skin, do you have a lot of moles? Or just a few, are you kind of watching your skin and if, if new things kind of come in that weren't there before? So it's just really knowing what your normal is. So if something changes, you can, act on like you, you can recognize the change so that's kind of step one step two is the two-week rule so since you've kind of set the base of your normal when something changes you'll notice right your stomach starts to act up maybe you're going to the bathroom differently you're more tired than normal most things will clear up after two weeks you know the flu pneumonia you know the common cold you know there's lots of things that just kind of after two weeks kind of solve themselves 
It's after two weeks, if you're still feeling any of these symptoms, we recommend you just go check it out. It does not mean you have cancer. And the two-week rule really helps people to not be a hypochondriac, as you stated. It helps them to be calm because they say, okay, two weeks, you know, a lot of things go away. And then at two weeks, it gives them a, a reason to go check it out. And then the third step is the sharing with your doctor. And that piece is the most critical in that, just kind of what I outlined earlier, what you say to your doctor is going to determine what they know about you, right? They don't have x-ray vision. They can certainly order tests, but they don't know what ones to order if you're not sharing the right information with them. So ultimately, that relationship and is really critical. And in this time where healthcare is so challenging and so variable across the country, it's really understanding all the different kind of scenarios that people can enter. Some people have long-term relationship with primary care. Other people use urgent care or medical clinics. And so it's a one and done environment. So it's really making sure that the patient is driving the conversation and they're actually driving the outcome to early diagnosis because if we don't drive the doctors and just kind of the way the, the model is now built, they just don't have the infrastructure and support systems, most of them, to, to do, you know, to kind of do the follow-up and do the, all of the additional work. And they also don't know how you're feeling. So you go to the doctor and leave and don't follow back up with them, but you're still not feeling well, how are they going to know? So those are really the three steps. Mm -hmm. I guess it's tricky. Um, we all assume that the doctor knows everything and they tell you something, you just shut. Um, it's a tendency for us to want to just shut down. So what I hear you saying is that we learn to be assertive in, in talking about ourselves. Is that kind of the context you're talking in? Yeah. And it's, it, you know, we say the best chance is you, the empowered patient, you know, those are some of the key, but yes, it's, it's all of those. It's the strength of believing in yourself, in yourself, trust in your instincts, not being embarrassed. Um, some of the cultural norms, you know, in the times we grew up, people didn't question their doctor, right? I'm not sure that people are being raised the same way now, but I think now is a good time. You know you the best. And, you know, this is about partnership with the doctor. It's not about us versus them. It's about creating a partnership between you and them. That's a really helpful paradigm because you, like you called them a detective a minute ago we have to give them the clues. And so they depend on us telling them. Um, and I have a very good doctor who listens very carefully and spends time and asks me very good questions. And sometimes those are questions about things I never thought about, but you're helping me think about being prepared um, in case I wake up and it's not normal. Um, so if, if you're not normal, you wait two weeks. And if it doesn't go away, then you make an appointment. Is that what I heard you say? That's exactly right. And we also say, though, if something changes significantly, like you break your leg or you have a really sharp pain or something along those lines, then you don't wait two weeks, right? So it's just making sure you understand the difference, right? So the, our kind of teaching is really about the subtle, persistent changes that hang around that you wouldn't necessarily impact your ability to go about your day. Those are the ones you wait, you know, you can wait two weeks and they usually clear up. Things that are more you know, like the symptom I had was a little bit more significant. I had a sharp pain in my head that would come and go, um, but it was nothing I had ever felt before, um, very different from my normal, and was more dramatic than, it wasn't subtle, I should say. 
Mm-hmm. And so I acted quicker than two weeks. So why is 1540 connection a 501c3? Um, essentially because the nonprofit, we're nonprofit to get to kind of everybody. Our mission is to educate people on how to detect cancer early. And, you know, the fact is, is it wasn't being done before. And now that the opportunity, or now that the issue was raised, you have to kind of build the case to get the education out there. So what we were able to do is build the case with kind of funders and people who are interested on the, in the nonprofit space to really make a difference and save lives. And so that's kind of how we landed as a nonprofit segment versus a for-profit who would be out selling the education, which is really not the motivation of, of the founder or any of the people who work here. So it's to make it accessible to more people? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Russell, what are you hearing here? You got some questions or observations? It is. That's remarkable. You know, I can think back to a health change that I had when I was working for Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> and there were some signs there, and I did not act. And I think a lot of, the, in my case, I can speak for myself. I think fear was a factor. Um, does your education program go to a, address uh, those sort of things that people may have, the, these fears that, oh, going to the doctor could cause me to miss work, uh, or my insurance may not be adequate, or, you know, they're just, a lot of times fears unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense, but yet it's there. So, so does your program address uh, uh, any of these fears that people may be experiencing or provide a space where people can discuss it? Yes, I think it's interesting because fear is the number one issue, right? People say, if I don't go, I'm afraid to go. And if I don't go, it'll go away, right? And the reality is, is that that fear where it's unfounded, right, is if you catch it early, great. That's a win because you can you can take care of it. If you don't have anything, that's great too, right? Both are celebration points, but we do have a natural fear of, of what the doctor's going to say, right? We also, on the flip side of that, want the doctor to say you're okay. So once the doctor says you're fine, we go, oh great, even though you still don't feel well, even though those symptoms still persist, you heard them say you're okay and that's what you want, right? We call it the get out of jail free card um, because that's what people are looking for. But you have to know, you have to trust your instincts, you have to trust yourself. And a lot of the teaching is about kind of recognizing the obstacles, all that you just outlined. That, that keep people from going and keeping people from getting the early detection um, because of those obstacles. Yeah. And so do you have any, any statistics, and I, I think you might be a, a source for it, of uh, people who are finding out that they have cancer, let's say late detection, uh, are there, are, how many cases are there where, where people are finding out too late uh, that they could have been treated or the treatment becomes more difficult because they waited. Do you, do you have any of those numbers per chance? I don't have them at my fingertips, but the few things I can share with you is we know that one in two men and one in three women will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. Those numbers are staggering. That's about 40%. So that's a big number. So we need to get as many of those people to detect cancer in stage zero or stage one. Um, we also know the cost is significantly different. Um, we do have data that supports stage one care versus stage four. 
is, you know, the difference is probably three or 400%. Um, the other thing is, and they've just started to publish some of these studies now in like the National Journal of Medicine and a few others around misdiagnosis being a blind spot that's been kind of ignored for the last 20 years. And the misdiagnosis leads to the lack of early detection, right? So the more diagnoses that you get that are inaccurate, the longer the pathway is to the actual correct diagnosis. So there has been a lot of studies published on that, but the actual numbers of you know, early versus late. Um, I haven't found that yet, but we're continuing to see stuff like that pop up. So that's a, that's a lot of people, 40% of the population. That's staggering. staggering. Uh, is, is, is that how it's been historically, or have we seen an, seen an increase historically? I don't know how long ago it was tracked, so I can't answer that, but I know there's certain cancers that are obviously on the rise. They're on the rise in younger people, like colon cancer um, and some others. So I think, I'm not sure to answer your question um, if it's on the rise, but the number is is staggering and, and not rising at like a a percentage increase like the opioid epidemic, right? So it's, it's, it's relatively static from the way the government sees it. I know that. Um, huge numbers, but not these kind of growth rates that are, you know, alarming to people. So you said um, <clears throat> with men, it's one in two. That would be us, Russell. That would be, yeah, and I, I get that because uh, <laughs> the funny thing is because Kelly was plugged in in 1540, Kelly, because you were plugged in there, uh, you were looking at being proactive about this problem and actually going out to solve it. Uh, in my case, I just kind of instinctually uh, shied away from it. My boss and her boss had two separate one-way conversations with me to tell me to go to the doctor. And they actually had to threaten to fire me before I did it. And that's how strong that the fear around facing this was. And so, uh, you know, with men in particular, and it doesn't surprise me, you know, we, we, we like to be angry and flex our muscles and, you know, growl, you know, which is a good mask for fear to be angry for God. <laughs> right. No one looks forward to being in a Johnny, you know, sitting on a stool in someone's office. <laughs> not a position of power, I like to say. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Well, Russell, thanks for sharing that story. I guess you went to the doctor then. I did because they threatened to fire me. It's just crazy. And now once I found out uh, what was going on with me, I was a lot calmer. And I approached it a lot better, and I was a lot more optimistic, and I just kind of let go of it. I guess because I kind of chewed on it and kicked it around for a while. And uh, But I had a support system of people around me who were there to help me just gather information. Good friends that came, my goddaughter, other friends, they just said, okay, we're going to go with you. Just listen to the doctor. We're here. We can take notes. We can use your voice recorder on the phone. Just just lean into it and listen and, and just share where you are, what's going on. And so it was a partnership. It was a team approach. And, I, you know, some of the things that I heard, uh, my whoever went with me didn't hear. And there were a lot of things that, that people who went with me to these appointments heard that I didn't hear. So we were able to just 
gather all of this information because when you're sitting in the chair or facing the treatment, uh, a lot of times you're overwhelmed with things going on. There's economics, there's, there's your affairs going forward. There's how am I actually gonna feel? There's, am I gonna be able to go back to my life as it was with work and with family? So there are just a ton of uncertainties and a ton of questions that people face. And having people that have gone through it, having the education, having, having that support network to say, look, it's better to face this stuff sooner rather than later, and you're not alone, is critical to getting better. I've, I've recovered fully. I've been in remission. So, yeah, it's been uh, about five, uh, just, uh, I'm approaching six years since the completion. Yay! I like those stories. That's yeah. cool. And you bring up a good point just about um, pe examples, people sharing examples. That is our model of education. We use storytelling. We use people who have actually had cancer diagnosis, have gone through the process. They've either detected cancer early or they didn't, right? And the different outcomes they had as a result. And it really is powerful because it helps people live the situation through other people, which I do think it can make it less scary. And I appreciate you sharing your story and I'm very happy for your outcome. Well, the unspoken thing that my doctor said when we had some challenges and, but you know, he did sort of hint around the fact that, you know, had I came in a little bit earlier, it would have been a little bit easier to treat. And he wasn't sure how things were going to go. And you're not always, they're not always sure. They don't have crystal balls. Right. So it's, it's, it's important to get all that information out there. No, no detail is too minor. To right. Get all that information out there to assess the situation, to find out exactly where you are and what steps you can take. So Kelly, earlier in your dialogue, you talked about the support systems you have. What kind of because when people find out, there's an emotional side to this. Um, how do you help people there? So we are really the path that leads to diagnosis. So we're really trying to encourage and engage and empower people to kind of go through the process to get to the diagnosis. As I had said when we started, there's a lot of groups and organizations that support once the diagnosis is made. Okay. You know, and that's not really our focal point. Our focal point is making sure people get to the doctor and get that diagnosis if indeed that's what's wrong with them so that they have more options and better chances for care, um, better health outcomes. Two more things I'm thinking about is um, um, people like to say I'm too busy to do some yeah. of this. So how do, how do you encourage people to cut through that excuse and do what's important? And then secondly, when they actually make the appointment, how do you empower them to um, have that meaningful conversation with their doctor? Right. And we always say an hour today could save you 10 hours tomorrow, right? So busy is busy, right? Everybody's busy. And at the end of the day, getting to the doctor, taking the time today to get the early diagnosis could save you so much time, so much money, and your life, quite frankly. So it's about prioritization. It's not easy, right? I mean, at the end of the day, how many people prioritize themselves first, especially when you're a parent with children and a job? It's just, but you have to reinforce it as often as possible that you, to the people who love you, alive is the option. <laughs> I mean, like, they want you alive. And if it's going to mean that you don't get to make that lunch because you went to the doctor early or you might miss that last meeting of the day, we're well, not really effective if you're not in the meeting at all. So um, fortunately, that is one thing that is shifting that it does feel there is support out there in corporate wellness and 
in those environments to really focus on health. And people, it sounds like even your experience, people were like, get to the doctor, you're fired. Like, I love to hear that because it says that they're prioritizing, you know, your health over the bottom line of the company, right? Um, but not everybody does it and not everybody works for supportive people. So at the end of the day, you have to be number one or, you know, the consequences are pretty significant. Wow. And so equipping people to have that conversation. Right. Yes, and just, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a us or them or me or you. It's more about just I'm having something that I have to deal with and I need support to, for me to go do that, um, which shouldn't be too much to ask, but I know it can be trickier than it sounds. But, but getting there, when you, get, you talk to the doctor, <clears throat> so they don't, you, you know, that I'm guilty of, well, when I get the doctor, it doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So I have to have a good recall. This is what I was feeling. Now I'm, I'm self-conscious or nervous. So it's kind of surpassed the pain or the, the slight feeling of pain that I had. So I guess there's making notes and being prepared for the doctor. What other ways can people be prepared? Yes. Yeah, so that is a few things. You just touched on something. So in advance of the doctor, um, making sure you write down everything that you've um, experienced, kind of symptoms, changes in your health, that piece. Also, um, and, and making sure you make a list, whether it's the notes app on your phone or you actually handwrite them, because inevitably when you get into the situation, you just forget half of the things, right? Um, and then when you're there, really making sure that you go through everything and that you don't, even if you're feeling rushed, like it's your time in that room, you have to command it. And that's this whole empowerment thing again, like, you know what, I'm not done. I haven't shared everything that I'm feeling. And, you know, the, the two other pieces that have been very helpful in, in the education is, the first is, ask them if they don't know what it is, what could it be? So it could be this or it could be that or something in between. But it gives you some framework to work from. And then you say, okay, what's the path to the answer? You treat the, the minimal thing that they think it probably is. If that doesn't work, you know, when should I feel better? When should I come back? So then you have a plan on what the next act is and you're not waiting for somebody else to reach out to you because these day and age, you don't traditionally get a follow-up call. Um, and then the other one, which I just touched on is, when should I feel better? So if I get this 10-day antibiotic on the 10th day, should I feel better? On the fifth day, you know, when should I feel better? And what do I do if I don't? And those two things have actually been pretty powerful statements to keep people in the driver's seat of the process. Well, we don't know what questions to ask. So that's, <clears throat> that's really helpful. So your website is 15-40, like a hyphen, 15-40.org, yeah. and um, the logo is 1540 Connections. And so um, tell us a little bit about the, um, the website. There's a donate button, of course, contact. You've got a blog. What's on the blog? So, so our so just to kind of um, set the stage, so we, our product is education. It's early <clears throat> education, and we offer it through Train the Trainers, through webinars, and through live presentations with panelists. And then to support the education that we've provided, we have a, basically a social infrastructure, which we're on all platforms with social media, and we have a blog. What we do with our blog is really try to enhance and continue to tell the stories of what we've taught. So it's everything from last Valentine's Day, we said, um, we had a, a blog post on 
the most important relationship is the one with your doctor. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we actually just are launching the 12 days of early detection this month. So each day someone sings one of the days. And so at the end on December 22nd, you'll be able to hear the whole 12 days of early detection. And again, each day is reinforcing our education. And that's what we use all of our social platforms and our blog to do. Um, and a lot of it also is through storytelling. So highlighting stories of people who've had successful um, health outcomes as a result of either education or because they didn't have our education, they value it. And they want to make sure other people have it. The menu, start the conversation, uh, know the power of you, know the role, know your role, be informed, facts, and the three steps of detection. Um, remember, you're great. Two-week rule, share um, with your doctor, learn from people like you, get involved, education outreach, share your story, your events, and donate, and then find out about us. Um, <clears throat> that you have a team for the marathon, 2018 Boston Marathon? Yeah, we have seven runners um, who are t collectively already over $25,000 in funds raised, mm. um, which is super exciting. That's great. That's great. I ran for the um, team of training, Lymph Le Leukemia Lymphoma Society, raising money for cancer. Oh, um, for Boston? Um, no, so I ran Atlanta. Oh, and <clears throat> Yingling over in uh, Virginia Beach. So it's a grand event. And you know, you're running, they actually give you a name of somebody who's in cancer treatment you run for. So that's good. So on your website, you can, um, you can click on that and find out about joining the team. Is that, is that the idea? So our team is full. So we've actually filled all seven slots. You can certainly support our team. Three of our seven runners are cancer survivors. Um, so they are out kind of pushing the mission forward and, kind of empowering themselves and running a marathon and, and supporting early detection education, which is amazing. I love it. So um, you're sitting in the office for the 1540 connection. I am. You're in Boston. We are about 35 minutes West of Boston. West. That would be that way. Okay. Um, and tell us about your staff, your founder and your board. Okay, so our founder, um, Jim Coughlin, and his family, it's a pretty good story. So Jim, uh, his best friend, uh, Mark Ungerer, and he says he's my best friend, second only to my wife. How romantic, right? Um, and he, his, Mark lost his son at the age of 15 to mm -hmm. leukemia. And Mark, kind of as a lasting legacy to his son, started a really successful golf tournament. And he funded uh, Dana-Farber Research to help um, to help continue to, you know, find cures for leukemia. So Mark, you know, years after this tournament started, he said to Jim, if something ever happens to me, would you keep this going? And Jim said, you know, of course I will, but you'll out, I'll out, you'll outlive me, you know? And unfortunately, um, shortly after that, Mark died and Jim, you know, had a, commitment to this tournament and he continued to fund uh, the research. But then, you know, he's a very successful businessman. He decided to go to really check out the ROI. So for all the funds that were being put into research, what was the outcomes? And as a result of some of that work, he found this statistic, which showed that there'd been, um, there'd been an issue around, um, Sorry, delayed diagnosis and the impact of delayed diagnosis on cancer survival rates. And once he found that, 
and recognize that nobody was focused on it, he met with his family and just kind of said, this is a calling. Like, we can't just let this be. We have to do something about it. And that's how 1540 was founded about eight years ago. Um, we have an active board. We just had our board meeting last night, and there's about eight members at this point. We are actively pursuing additional board members as we scale and build new curriculum. Um, and our staff has eight people um, who work across all categories, development, marketing, education, and outreach um, to support the mission and to scale the mission. That's music to our ears, isn't it, Russ? We, uh, Russell and I, uh, we, we reframe the word consultant to wayfinder. We, um, we don't give people fish. We teach them how to fish. So we work with many, many nonprofits, and boards are not as active as they ought to be. And we also, uh, Russell's specialty is funding. And <clears throat> we think about donors and grants, but there's, there's six more streams of funding. So it sounds like you guys have got a really good thing going, a really solid solid uh, platform. How many people like you in the office? Maybe there's nobody like you, but how many others in the office? <laughs> yeah, so there's eight total people who work in the office each day. And you know, a lot of us are out of the office because our education is we're out in schools, in corporate wellness, in on campuses, college campuses. So we're kind of spread all over, but there's eight total at the moment. Do they all wear black furs to work? Exactly. Well, we're, we're, this is to celebrate our 12 days of early detection. I wore a fancy jacket so that I could sing. So stay tuned. Watch our Facebook page for our... You, you are going to sing. Your Facebook page is 1540 Connection. Twitter is at 1540 Connection. YouTube is the 1540 Connection. And Instagram is 1540 Connection with no hyphen or no space just written out there. And so, each day we'll post one of our, and everybody's singing, I will add, singing a day of early detection. Love it. Love it. That's really clever. Russell, uh, we're on the last stretch of our interview. You're just, um, I bet you got some observations and closing questions for Kelly. Well, I just love the fact that everybody's cross-trained and understands everybody's uh, uh, function and role and just taking that responsibility onto yourselves. And it's marvelous. It, spreading the wealth and, and spreading the joy. I love what you're doing. And um, um, I'd be interested to know more about your train the trainer process, because that's something that should be spread beyond Boston. It should, I think it should uh, be spread around the country so that people understand what, what they're looking at. Yeah, and for, for tech, because of technology, we actually were able to do a train the trainer in Florida. So we are national, you know, as you, we're, our feet on the street is here in, in Boston. So we have deeper traction here, but we're definitely moving, you know, across the Mississippi and really trying to hit all four corners and the center of the U.S. and make sure everybody gets the education. One of your tabs on your site says get involved, but if people are not in Boston, how do they get involved? Oh, so many ways. You can get involved through social media. You can share our story with your network. Um, you can bring our education through your schools or corporate. Uh, you can also, you know, sign up to be a train the trainer. You can um, bring us to your college campus. I mean, it really is endless and all the opportunities are posted there or there's also an email capability just to tell us what you're thinking. And um, we're, we're nimble, so we, and we're constantly looking for new ideas, so we welcome all ideas. Amazing, 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 amazing. So, um, Kelly, as we, as we wrap up here, um, what, 
what parting or is there something we haven't covered that you want to share? And then what parting thought do you have to leave with our listeners? As our founder says, health is wealth, right? At the end of the day, if you're not healthy, everything else is a struggle. So the ability, and we have the, we have the capacity to get well, right? So that most people can access a doctor or a hospital and taking the extra time to do that if something changes in your health um, is really, can be a life-saving decision. And, you know, our founder says often, he goes, don't be selfish. Think about all the people who love you. And if you make this decision and you're, you're negatively impacted as a result, they are too. So I think that's a really kind of strong statement. Like, it's not just about you, it's about everybody around you. You know, I have, I have young kids, right? I'm being wheeled into the hospital with a 10 and eight year old, you know, that's not an easy pill to swallow, right? Um, and you wanna be, you wanna come out and make sure that you're there for them and you can, you know, and I think that's the key component of all of this is it make it a priority because at the end of the day, nothing else matters. You know, if you don't have your health, the rest is kind of, not going to happen. Amazing. Russell, those are good words, aren't they? They're wonderful. And uh, thank you for making this information available to a lot of people. It's a, it's a worthwhile cause. And access to information and resources is critical, uh, especially in today's climate arising costs. But, you know, uh, the thing that I would say to people is a closing thought if you're if you've got some things going on and you're stopping to think, uh, well, I don't know if I have the money or the resources to pay for it, I will point out that I've never seen the U-Haul behind the hearse and dead people don't pay bills. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, um, thank you for making time. I know you got a lot of things to do, but thank you for sharing the story with all of our listeners. Well, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. This episode of the Nonprofit Exchange is sponsored by Rock Paper Simple. Joshua Adams and his highly competent team will give you a branded website and a marketing plan to attract donors, participants, potential board members, etc. to your website. It's not just a collection of pretty pictures anymore. It's a website that engages and empowers your tribe rockpapersimple.com for the special offers for center vision listeners for the nonprofit exchange listeners it is rockpapersimple.com backslash my first name hugh h-u-g-h go there ask for a free consultation or an assessment of your idea or your existing website rockpapersimple.com backslash Hugh. You'll be glad you did. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.